And last we gathered was last Sunday. It was Palm Sunday. And we were talking and teaching about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, where the people were gathered and excited and ecstatic that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They saw him as their Messiah. And they were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And Hosanna means, please save us. And they were all ecstatic, except for the rulers, the teachers of the law. They weren't so thrilled that Jesus was there. And because everybody was excited, they hatched a plan to arrest him and to kill him. And then just five short days later, the same people that were yelling Hosanna are yelling, crucify him. Crucify him. And that's exactly what they did. On that Friday afternoon, he gave up his life on the cross. Saturday morning, the disciples had to wake up and just think, what just happened? Weren't we just riding into Jerusalem and people were shouting his name as the Messiah? We thought he was the Messiah, and yet they killed him. Their world had to be turned upside down. But then the next morning, the women run to the tomb, and they discover that he's not there. And they go back and they tell his disciples, and as you heard, Peter and John ran to the tomb and discovered that's true, he's not there. And then he appeared to them. Their life in the period of eight days went from here to here to back up here. Just like that. How crazy that must have been for them. Can you imagine what it would have been like to pin all your hopes on this man to see him crucified. But then he's not in the tomb and he appears to you. How crazy is that? I don't know about you, but in my life things seem to change like that, like this. It's like just like that, my first daughter was born and just like that she just had her third. You know, it seems like when I was younger that the whole nation celebrated Easter, but today that's not the case. Today more and more people say Jesus is just another teacher, just like Muhammad or Buddha or Krishna. There's no difference. And the things we used to believe as children, we don't believe anymore, especially the resurrection of the dead. And the sad thing is that there are a lot of people who identify as Christians that believe the same thing. Not so sure that that whole resurrection thing happened. But yet... We celebrate Easter in this country. We celebrate Easter in this church. And we still know the two high holy days in the Christian calendar. But I would argue they've been sort of rearranged a little bit. I would say that the two high holy days in the Christian calendar is Christmas followed by Easter. Interesting, isn't it? You know, Christmas is celebrated in more countries around the globe than Easter. Easter's just not celebrated that many places. And think about it. Christmas is a holiday that lasts over a month long. It starts the day after Thanksgiving or the night of Thanksgiving or the day after Halloween this last year. <laughs> so we have a month-long celebration of Christmas in this country and around the world. We celebrate by putting up trees and lights and inviting people to our houses and shopping and having parties and you can't forget the ugly Christmas sweaters that we wear. Christmas, <laughs> what? Can I get a witness? 
but it's a month-long celebration. Compare that to Easter, if you would. First of all, Easter, most of us don't even know when Easter is, what month it falls in, right? And whether or not it's going to screw with spring break or the final four. And just if you're wondering, if you want to know that Christmas next, or Easter next year, April 21st. So you can mark your calendars today. Next year, Easter, April 21st. But think about Easter for a minute. What do we do? We wake up and we boil some eggs and we give them to our kids to paint and to lose in the backyard. Right? We might buy a new outfit, go to church, have Easter dinner. But typically by 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, Easter is in our rearview mirror and we don't see it again for 12 months. Why is that? How is it that Easter has become less than Christmas? Because we read in Scripture that it is the most holy day. It's the thing that makes the difference of everything. Now, I would say Christmas isn't insignificant because Easter couldn't happen if Christmas didn't happen. But Christmas makes absolutely no sense without Easter. How does that happen? Well, I think it's easy to see. Right? It's easy to see and, and talk about and believe in the birth of a baby. Right? We get that. But the resurrection of the dead, that's a little bit tougher. That's kind of like bordering on crazy. But more and more people in this country think it's just foolishness. It's no more than a fairy tale. Believing in Jesus is no different. Believing in the resurrection is no different than believing you have to hold your breath when you drive by a cemetery. Or to preserve the health of your mother's back, you don't step on cracks in the sidewalk. <laughs> or that a goat is to blame for 108 years of baseball purgatory. <laughs> that's foolishness. <laughs> and that's exactly what a lot of people believe about Jesus and his resurrection, that it's nothing but foolishness. It's crazy. And so that's why we're doing this series. That's why we're doing this series titled Foolish Things That Christians Believe. Because here's the idea. Many things that Christianity teaches us can be seen as crazy, can be seen as kind of outlandish. Like a man heals the sick or is raised from the dead or forgives your past and secures your future. Many of the things that Christianity teaches can be seen as absolutely crazy but it also teaches that they're true. And so we're going to spend the next five weeks looking at some of the most outlandish claims that scriptures make. We're going to look at those claims and we're going to study and discuss how those could be true and why those could be true. And so today we begin with this outlandish claim that Jesus makes, Paul makes, and all the gospel writers make, that our death, my death, is not final that this life is not all that there is, that we have hope because Jesus himself was raised from the dead. See, it was this same kind of audience that Paul makes his plea in 1 Corinthians. He makes a plea to an audience, some who believe in the resurrection, some who have no doubt that Jesus was resurrected. But he's also saying to others, I know some of you don't believe in it. And so he makes his defense. And he starts with that defense in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. If you have your Bibles, you can open up with, with me and, and read along. 
Paul says, For what I received I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. First thing I pass on to you, the first thing I want you to understand is that I have spoken to Peter and James. I've spoken to all the apostles. I've spoken to the people that have seen him. And he came and appeared to me. And so I speak as one who knows, who has firsthand account of Jesus' resurrection, but that he died. Now some say, well, Jesus was just a fictional character, but no credible historian would say that. Because credible historians found in Scripture and found outside of Scripture, Greek historians, Roman historians, Jewish historians, have testified to the fact that Jesus actually walked this earth, that he was a man that lived in Jerusalem and was killed by Pontius Pilate on a cross. Historians don't dispute that, but yet we still argue that today. Paul says, no, he died. And some people say, well, okay, he died. But why? Why did he have to die for our sins? Why is that? Time Magazine asked that question several years ago when they put this on the cover right before Easter. So why did Jesus have to die? They wanted to debate that inside the article. But I think it's ironic the answer is on the cover. Up in the top right corner it says, Horror in Fallujah, Confessions of a Tycho Juror. Why? Because we're a sinful, fallen, broken people. Because we murder one another. We steal from one another. Because we have this problem called sin that we can't fix. That's why Jesus died. But some would say today that that's just fake news. That that's just not true. That things are actually getting better. We just need to believe it. Stephen Pinker in his new book called Enlightenment Now says this that this is a much safer place than it used to be. We need to ignore the voices that say things are getting worse. And he goes through and he studies this. And he says, if you study from about 1903 to 2014, you'll notice that people who die from falls and fires and drownings and poison from gas or vapor, that number continues to go down because we continue to make this planet a safer place for people to live. And so fewer and fewer people are dying as a cause of this. Then he said he started studying, and he said but he noticed an anomaly there. You notice that one line there at the end that goes up. There are more and more people dying in this world to poison solid and liquid. And he couldn't figure that out. Why is that, he said. And he started, so he started studying. And he found out that in that number, the vast majority of that number are people who die from drug overdoses. Right? We can make it a safer place, but we still can't fix ourselves. We can't protect ourselves from ourselves. We need someone else. That's exactly what Scripture teaches us. We need somebody else. We need a Savior. And his name is Jesus. And Paul says that he was testified to, not only by the people that saw him, but prophets hundreds and hundreds of years ago. The prophet Isaiah said about 700 years before Jesus was born that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We are all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. 
By oppression and judgment, he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? Jesus died on the cross for our sins, just as the scriptures said that he would. Paul continues his defense. And he says, also he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He was buried. He wasn't just killed on the cross. He was buried in a tomb. And we know that, that he wasn't still alive. We know that because his adversaries, the people that could produce a body, couldn't produce a body because what did they say? The tomb is empty because his disciples stole the body. Their testimony, their lie tells us that the tomb was empty, that he was, in fact, in a tomb, that he was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. We're told that. Just like the Scriptures said that he would. And that he would be raised on the third day. Isaiah, again, is our prophet that tells us he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Jesus was crucified along with two thieves. And he was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph, a rich man who could afford that tomb. Jesus was assigned a grave with the wicked and the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence nor any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him, to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Isaiah tells us again, 700 years before Jesus, exactly how he would die, exactly where he would be buried, but that he would be raised to new life. That's what Paul means when he says, according to the scriptures. It takes not just his death, not just the cross, but it takes an empty tomb to make the true difference. Paul says in Romans 4.25 that he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. It takes both his death and his resurrection. It's in his death that he pays for our sins, but it's in his resurrection that we are made righteous in God's eyes. It's in his resurrection that he defeats sin and death. And by both of those things, we are declared righteous. It takes both his death and his resurrection. Many people have died for the sins of others, victims of terror attacks and murders, but none has died for the sin of everyone. Paul says that is Jesus. And then he goes on to tell them, if you don't believe me, let me tell you who else saw him. He said, in that he appeared to Cephas. Cephas is Aramaic for Peter. So he appears to Peter and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, some have died. Then he appeared to James, the brother of Jesus. Then all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Paul says, if you don't want to take my word for it, there are hundreds of people that saw him resurrected, that ate with him, that talked with him, 
that touched him. If you don't want to just take my word for it, go talk to them. Each one of them gave their life believing in the resurrection of Jesus, believing he lived again with a physical body. And they gave their life not renouncing that faith. They believed in the resurrection of Jesus. And you might say, well, a lot of people have died for things they thought were true. But how many have died for things they know to be a lie? See, they knew Jesus was risen. They died for what they knew to be true. And as witnesses, they write to us and they call out to us to examine their testimony. But Paul goes on to tell them, but if this death is all there is, if this life is all there is, and I die and I go in the grave and there is no more, and there is no resurrection, well, then Jesus himself wasn't resurrected. And if Jesus wasn't resurrected, then we are the worst of people because we've lied to you and we've told you that, in fact, he has been resurrected. And so if we believe that Jesus has been resurrected, we ought to be considered fools. We should be pitied more than anybody else. Every Easter sermon, every message you ever heard, every dollar you ever gave was the most foolish thing you could ever do. You are fools, he's saying, if in fact Jesus didn't, didn't, wasn't resurrected. But he goes on to say, he said, but he was resurrected. In fact, he did rise from the grave. And because he rose from the grave as the first fruits, we too will rise in the resurrection when he comes again. We too will be raised to new life just as Jesus was. Have you guys ever heard of beta testing? You know, beta testing is where they take software or product and they send it out to a few guinea pigs and say, here, work with this and tell us what you think and find all the bugs in it, and then they'll roll it out to the general public. Well, here's what we can say about the resurrection. It's been beta tested because Jesus has beta tested it, and it's found to be true. And we know and we can rest assured that because he rose from the dead, as Paul says, we too shall rise. And he's saying, if you don't believe me, ask all the witnesses. And the New Testament is full of those witnesses. But I know some are saying, well, how can we rely upon this? They all had an agenda. How do we know this is true? Well, there have been countless men and women that have given their entire lives to that endeavor. They've given their whole scholarly life into researching whether or not this is reliable. And they've published book after book after book for you to go and check out. And so this morning I would say, if you don't believe me, go talk to them. If you don't believe me, go ask the witnesses here. And what they would tell us is the arguments that we are defending today are arguments that have been settled hundreds of years ago. Arguments like it was a conspiracy, that the disciples were just liars, or that maybe he wasn't really dead, that he actually was just wounded and crawled out of the tomb, or that maybe they put him in the wrong tomb. Scholars would tell you, both believers and non-believers alike would tell you, yeah, those arguments really don't hold water. 
And again, don't trust me. Go read for yourself. I would encourage you today, if there's any doubt, even if you don't doubt, it's a great way to have your faith affirmed, to be strengthened, to be bold in your proclamation that Jesus, in fact, was resurrected, that the Gospels are historically verifiable, but that Jesus was a historical figure that lived and was crucified but was raised to new life, and why resurrection is a reasonable explanation, the most reasonable explanation for the tomb being empty. Go and seek out. Do not live this life one more minute unexamined. Why do you think Paul preached this crazy message? Why do you think we preach this crazy message? Because this message changes everything. Paul knew it to be true. He had seen the risen Lord, but he also knew the implications of that, that not only was his life changed, but everybody else's life was changed as well. He knew that Jesus was the answer for life's problems. That Jesus answers all the major questions. Where did I come from? Why am I here? How do I live? Where am I going when I die? Christianity is the only worldview that answers those questions coherently and consistently. I want to ask you this morning, if there are anybody here that maybe finds foolishness in this message, that maybe is still doubting, that still says, yeah, I still don't buy it. Humor me for a minute. Just for a minute. What if it's true? Think about that for a second. What if it's true? What if Jesus really did come and die for your sins? And that he was resurrected to new life. And he says, you too may have everlasting life. What if that's true? That this life isn't all there is. That there is an eternity being created for you. What if that's true? If it's true, then we have hope for this life. We have hope that this life is not all there is. That just as Paul said and Jesus said, because I live, you will live also. And that means that we have hope for this life, that this isn't all there is. And we know that when we die, and when we are resurrected, we will have, as Paul says, as Jesus says, new bodies, imperishable bodies, without disease, without sin, without dying, without mourning, without the pain that I've been suffering with for 20 years in my neck. And just so we're clear, I'm not talking about my wife. I'm talking about a physical pain in my neck. Just wanted to clear that up in case any of you are wondering. And we know that when we die, we will recognize those that have gone before us. And we will recognize one another as Jesus recognized his disciples, as they recognized him resurrected. We too will recognize one another. We will see those that have gone before us in the faith. We have hope in the resurrection. But we also have freedom. Freedom from fear. We no longer need to fear death. Paul says, 
that death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death is not the final answer. It does not have the final word. It has been defeated, and we have freedom from fear. But we also have a purpose. If, in fact, there is resurrection and there is eternal life, we have a purpose. In light of eternity, we have a purpose in this world now. Paul says in 58, he says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain, because there is eternity. There is an everlasting life. Your work in the Lord, your work as Paul's work, and all the disciples that have gone before us, to proclaim the risen Lord, to proclaim the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that work will not be in vain. But here's what I will tell you. It's a crazy message. It is outlandish. Paul knew that. Paul went to Rome and spoke at the Areopagus where all the brilliant minds were. Do you think Paul went to that place thinking that they're all just like crazy people? No, he knew they would look at him as a crazy person. So he crafted a message. And he gave a great message to them. And he said, but when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. Others, for a moment, were entertaining the idea that it could be true. And so our work is not in vain. Jesus' message is not in vain. We share that message because some will believe. And those people we will see, not only in this life, but in the life everlasting. And so we have a purpose in this life. And that is to share this foolish thing that Christians believe, that my death is not final. Because Jesus' death was not final. He had the final word. And Jesus says when he comes again and everything is set right, then God will be all in all. And everything will be as it should be. But in the meantime, as foolish Christians, we continue to share that message with the world, so desperately longing for everyone to come to a knowledge and a saving faith of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This Easter Sunday, April 2018, is a day for celebration. Just like Easter was 20 centuries ago, things can change in an instant. And the Holy Spirit moves as He moves, where He moves. And He moves through your words and through your lives. I pray for each and every one of you this morning that the resurrection of Jesus Christ would embolden you, would strengthen you to proclaim that good news to the world and those around you. That it may strengthen your faith so that you may know the hope and the freedom and the purpose that you have in Jesus Christ. Christ is risen. He has risen indeed. Hallelujah.